Hey, it's Luke. The message you're about to hear is about deliverance with the casting out of demons. My goal in this message is to offer practical advice on how to cast out demons and to encourage you to be bold and confident for when God decides to use you in this way. Hope you enjoy. Turn to Matthew chapter 10, wherever you are. We're going to continue with our supernatural series. And here's the big idea with this series there is a seen realm, or you might call it the natural realm, and there is an unseen realm. And both the seen realm and the unseen realm are equally true and active in our lives. And actually, a lot of the problems that we experience come because we give more priority to the natural realm than we do to the spiritual realm. And so the big idea of the series is that we have these two realms, both contain good and both contain evil. And when the unseen realm is experienced in a tangible way, We call that from the seen realm supernatural. That's what it's like when the supernatural comes. And so Jesus taught us to resist the evil unseen realm and to welcome God's kingdom, the unseen rule and reign of God. And so I was excited when this series, when we decided we were going to do this, and I've been waiting to get in on it for a while. And what I felt like God put on my heart to talk about for today is casting out demons. And if you read Matthew chapter 10 and verse 8, Jesus is making a command to his disciples that he'll later repeat to 70 more of his disciples. And then we'll see throughout the rest of the New Testament. And what Jesus says is, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and our part for today, cast out demons. And so the goal in today's message is that all of us, would grow in our ability to cast a demon out of another person. Now, if you are a newer believer and you haven't been following Jesus for too long, I'm really glad you're hearing this message because when I was a newer believer, I really, I never heard anything about casting out demons. It probably was five years or six years before I ever heard that that was even something that we were supposed to do. And it is something that followers of Jesus are called to do, and you don't have to be a super Christian or a celebrity pastor in order to do it. Everyday Christians can cast out demons. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Um, and before we dive in, I want to address two issues that often come up when you're talking about casting out demons. So for me, there have been times that I heard a message on, on this subject, and my reaction to it was fear. Afraid that maybe I had a demon. You know, if you put someone up on stage and you have them talk about casting out demons long enough and deliverance testimonies, eventually everybody in the room is going to think they might have a demon. Because it's just, it's, it's natural. When you're hearing about people and you're hearing stories about how they had a demonic presence, they were demonized, they were set free, you start thinking, oh, could that be me? And so a couple things I want to say about that. First, there is a difference between possession and demonization. So possession is a word that you often hear when you're reading through the Bible. You know, that person was possessed by a demon. They were demon-possessed. And 
although it's what we see in the English, it's actually, and I confirm this with Van, who reads Greek, it's actually not the best translation of the word. A better translation of the word is demonized. So not demon-possessed, necessarily, but demonized. And here's the difference. Possession implies total control or ownership. Like, a demon has you, and they're working all of your limbs and all of your legs and controlling it. Like, you have no control over yourself. Demonized simply means influenced or oppressed by a demonic spirit. And so demonized is really, when we read this word in the New Testament, demonized is really a better translation. So what does that mean? That means that no matter, even if you do have a demon, it does not mean that you are like totally possessed and controlled by it. In fact, if you are born again and you're a Christian, you're following Jesus, you're actually way more possessed and owned by God than you'll ever be by a demon. And so... Um, you're possessed by God. And so Christians, they can be influenced or oppressed by a demon, but possessed is not necessarily the best word. Also, demonization occurs on a scale. You see that both in the New Testament and just in personal experience. And what I mean by that is that you might have someone who's more like a level, say a one to 10 scale. You could have someone who's more like a level one, two, or three. Don't get hung up on the words. I'm just trying to make a point. There are less demonized, maybe another person. Like, the Bible talks about temptation as being influenced from the enemy. And so in a sense, temptation is a form of demonization, of oppression or attack from the enemy. You might call that like a level one out of ten demonization. Then you can go all the way to the other side of the scale to a ten, and that's maybe is like the Gadarean demoniac that you read about in Mark 5, who had thousands of demons that were oppressing him. And so it's a scale, and... Here's my gut feeling. I, I can't prove this, and it might not always be true, but I believe that if you are demonized beyond, like, let's say a three out of ten, you probably know. And so you don't need to be afraid if you're, if you're watching this right now, after we get through the message, oh my gosh, I might have like a thousand demons in me. If you did, you probably would know. Third thing I want to say about fear, you aren't demonized just because you have the same issue or history as a person who was demonized. So you'll hear stories, you'll hear people who perhaps they allowed a demonic stronghold to come into their life because of unforgiveness. And then you think, well, wait, I think I have some unforgiveness. Am I demonized? Not necessarily. You might have the exact same issue, but you might not be demonized. And so, so I don't want fear to be the result of this message. This message is, my goal in this is that we would all be equipped in how to do this better. So don't be afraid. Other thing that's happened to me personally when I've heard messages on deliverance that wasn't necessarily good is I became overzealous to do it. Like I can remember first hearing about it and the next person I was praying for, I had a tiny hunch that they might have had something demonic going on. I was like, I cast that spirit out in Jesus' name. Never really goes well if you start to try to cast a spirit out of someone without them asking. Unless, and this is what our founder of the vineyard, John Wimber, said, um, this quote, let me back up, quote, he said, don't fire until fired upon when doing deliverance ministry. Don't fire until fire upon. What does that mean? That means it's usually best, this is not the law, this is a guiding principle, it's usually best not to try to start casting a demon out of someone until you have seen evidence of that demonic presence or the person has asked you to do it. 
So we don't want to get overzealous at casting out demons from hearing this. So those are two things I wanted to cover first. Quick biblical overview. That verse that we read earlier, Matthew 10, if you look at Strong's definition of the word cast out, this is what it says. This is from Blue Letter Bible. To eject, literally or figuratively, to bring forth, to cast, to drive out, to expel, to leave, to pluck, pull, take, thrust out, to put forth or put out, to send away or to send out. And so what do we mean when we say cast out, of, cast out a demon? What we mean is deliverance is when a person who is being afflicted by a demon is set free from that affliction. That's what we mean by casting out a demon. That's what we mean by deliverance ministry. Now, in the Old Testament, you actually only see the Hebrew word for demon twice. And they're not, there's, you, you read about evil spirits sometimes and unclean spirits, but they're not that active. By the time you get to the New Testament and you look at the ministry of Jesus, you see that there is demonic activity going on all over the place. And Jesus is casting out demons almost every single place that he goes. And, and so then you see also the verse we read, Matthew 10, 8. And here's why I think this is important. In the end of Jesus's time on earth, right before he ascended back to heaven, he gave a famous passage of scripture called the Great Commission. And this was kind of like the mandate to all the followers of Jesus as to what it actually looked like to be a part of Christ's mission. They were commissioned. And what Jesus said to them is, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And here's the important part. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so all of the commands that we read in the New Testament that Jesus gave to his disciples, our mission as Christians is to teach the world how to obey those commands. Starting, of course, with salvation, but then getting to stuff like love one another as I have loved you and heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom of God and cast out demons. Now, some will argue that the command that Jesus gave to cast out demons was not a timeless command, but it was a timely command. What that means is that it was, timely means it was just for that time. It wasn't for our time. Timeless, again, would be for all time. And it's going to be another message where we talk about why the command to cast out demons is timeless and not timely. I simply don't have time today. But a good indicator that a command Jesus gave was timeless is when you see it repeated multiple times throughout the entire Bible. If you see it in one obscure place, Oftentimes it might just be a command for that time and that time alone. But if it's repeated all throughout scripture, it's a good indicator that it's time, timeless. Okay, let's get into some practicals. I want to share with you a model for deliverance prayer or a model for casting out demons. By the way, when I use the word deliverance, it is synonymous with the term cast out demons. So here's the first step. And this is not really a step. This is more like a disclaimer, and I th but I think it's really important to share right off the bat. Decide ahead of time not to make a formula out of these steps. Every time I've done deliverance ministry, 
I, the Holy Spirit has always taught me something new in that moment. And so if I would have followed a preset formula in my mind of how to do it, one, I probably wouldn't have gotten the person free. And two, I wouldn't have learned what God was trying to teach me. I wouldn't have seen the breakthrough insight that we needed in order to get the person free. And it's so important not to make a formula out of doing deliverance because it's just the fact of the matter is deliverance ministry is not black and white. I remember a time I was in Zimbabwe in Africa and I was, I'd heard deliverance teaching, but I'd never really done it. And we were going around praying for people. And there was this little boy, probably 10 years old, who was running around playing with his friends outside in this common area. And I went up to him, felt drawn to him, went up to him and asked him, hey, what's your name? He didn't really speak any English, so he didn't understand me. And then I was just like signaled to him, hey, can I pray for you? And he said, yes. The second I put my hand on him and started to pray for him, his eyes rolled back and he fell onto the ground convulsing. And then after about 10 seconds of that, his eyes came back, but they weren't his eyes anymore. They were someone else, something else. And he started to crawl towards me, trying to scratch me. And what I had been told in deliverance teaching that I had heard is when that happens, you say, I command you to stop doing that in Jesus' name. And so I was like, I command you to stop trying to scratch me in Jesus' name. And didn't affect the demon at all. It kept trying to scratch me until about 30 seconds of me kind of backing up slowly. And then the boy kind of like snapped back into it, went and played with his friends again. And so then I went and found him again. And the same exact thing happened. He said I could pray for him. But the second that I put my hand on him and started to say, a Holy Spirit come, eyes rolled back, fell down, convulsing, trying to scratch me. I'm backing up just so he can't get it. So then the third time, I had this idea, you know what? Maybe I just need to have really bold faith and trust in God. And when he goes to scratch me, not move. And so I'm sitting there. Same thing happens again. Eyes come. They're not his. He goes to scratch me and I don't move my arm. I'm just like, you do, you cannot. I forbid you from scratching me in Jesus name. And then he scratched my arm and left a a, a mark going all the way down my arm. And here's why I tell that. So at the end of that story, this is not a happy story. It doesn't end well. He didn't get free. But the reason I tell that is that as I reflect on that, what I realize is I probably should have went and got one of the Zimbabweans who were out ministering with us to help in that process. He could have spoke the language. He could have communicated with the boy better. I think that that would have been a better move to get the boy free than what I did. Why didn't I do that? Because I wasn't in tune with what the Holy Spirit was doing. I wasn't trying to sense what God was doing. I was trying to follow a formula. And so it's so important that we don't follow formulas because deliverance ministry is not um, black and white. It's gray. So let's get into the second step, which is really kind of like the first step. Step number one, choose a leader. What I mean by that is that when you're doing deliverance, if there are multiple people praying for one person, one person is in charge, and the other person or the other people don't do anything without either asking the leader or being prompted by the leader. Now, you might be like, Luke, that sounds kind of harsh. That doesn't sound empowering. That doesn't sound collaborative. And I understand empowerment is great. Collaboration is great. But here's the deal. If there is no leadership in doing deliverance ministry, there is no authority. And that's just true in general. Without leadership, there's no authority. And it takes authority to cast out demons. And if you got multiple people 
who are all shouting one thing at a, all shouting their own plan and their, their own prayer and trying to do their own thing with the person, then it's kind of like, imagine if you were trying to dig down to the root of a tree, right? And that's what you're really doing in deliverance ministry oftentimes. You're trying to get to a root. Imagine if you were trying to dig down to a root with like 10 people, but instead of all of you focusing your efforts on one spot and digging a deep hole there, you just dug like 10 or 12 shallow holes all around the tree. What would happen? You probably wouldn't get to the root. In the same way, you're probably not going to have success. You're not going to get to the root of what someone is dealing with if everybody is trying to do their own thing and nobody's in charge. And so trust me, you need a leader. You need someone who has clear authority, one person, when you're doing deliverance ministry. You You see multiple places in the New Testament where a lack of authority actually harmed the deliverance process. There's a great story, we can't go there now, but in Acts chapter 20, I believe, where these Jewish exorcists named the sons of Sceva are going around trying to cast out demons in Jesus' name, even though they weren't operating out of Jesus' authority. And I'll let you read it. Hilarious story there. Involves someone getting beat up and running running away naked. (laughs) So, So here's the deal. If you find yourself praying with someone for deliverance and you suspect that they don't understand this, that there needs to be one leader, I'm telling you, it might feel weird, it might not feel natural, it might feel harsh, but the right thing to do for the person getting prayer is to look at the person praying with you and say, hey, I'm going to lead this. I don't want you to talk to them or say anything to them unless you ask me or unless you're prompted by me. Next step, take charge of the situation or minimize the chaos. So after you've chosen your leader and you've taken some time, I didn't say this earlier, I meant to, you've taken some time to interview the person and to ask them all of the um, stuff that they've been experiencing and try to, get, try to see what maybe some root mindsets or issues might be that have resulted in the demonization. Once you get through that, it's important that if anything starts to happen, if there's any kind of demonic manifestations, Maybe something like the boy I was talking to you about earlier is happening, or maybe, and I'll tell a story about this in a second, maybe you're walking into a situation where a demon is already manifesting and the situation is chaotic. If, if you find yourself there, it's really important that you take charge of the situation and minimize the chaos. Why? Because demons thrive on making people feel out of control. It's actually one of the places where they get their um, power from, or they get their fear, scare tactics from is making the person that they're afflicting feel out of control. And so what you want to do is if, there, if you walk into a really chaotic situation, deliverance situation, you want to do what it takes to calm everything down. And about nine months ago, Jamie and I were living with Van and Lori because we had just moved out of the house we were renting and we were in the process of buying a house. And we actually casted some demons out of Van and Lori. No, just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, We actually were, we had an interesting interaction with a different kind of critter than a demon. And I thought that to emphasize this point about being calm and minimizing chaos, that we would show you a quick video. So why don't we roll that video?
me scare them. Let me scare them. Let me scare them. Wait, no, don't scare them. Then what do you do with your hand? I was trying to get a better video. Okay. Help the door. Open it. Look, it's right there. Did you see that other one? There was three. Three? Where's the third? The third one just walked that way. All right, party's over. <laughs> Did you record that? Yes. Party's over. Oh my gosh, it's still there. All right, time to go. <laughs> All right, so I don't actually know how much we can learn about casting out demons from that, but I've just been waiting for a message where I could use that video. So, but... It's important that when we're, doing, when we're doing deliverance, if we walk into a chaotic situation, we have a calm demeanor. We're not freaking out. We're not, like, reacting to what the demon is doing, um, that we're at ease. But we're also bold. We need to have a bold authority, too, and not be passive or tentative, but to be very direct and very assertive. There was a time that Jamie and I were doing deliverance ministry in Australia. We had went to Australia with Putty Putman to launch a uh, series of ministry schools called the School of Kingdom Ministry. About, we did, there were eight of them that got launched in the country. And when we were doing one of the trainings that we were doing for the people that would be leading the classes, part of the training was actually teaching on this topic. And so, uh, oh, by the way, Micah Turnbow was there also. It was the three of us. And part of how they train is they actually do real life. They don't do, quite do deliverance, but they do like what they call inner healing ministry, where they interview a person in front of a room of all the people that are being trained, and they actually really try to help the person get more internal freedom through talking to them, finding root issues or experiences, and praying for them. And so this is happening, but the person who is being interviewed and prayed for, they, it's hard to, how do I say this? It seemed like to me, and I think it was confirmed later, that they actually had no interest in getting free, but they were really enjoying the spotlight and kind of this desire to kind of get attention. Every so often, they would kind of take a second to preach to the people that were sitting there. Yet you could tell this person really had some issues that they needed to be freed from. And so it kind of feels like uneasiness is rising in the room. Eventually, Micah goes over to Putty and says, hey, Putty, uh, stuff is starting to happen, and I think we need to transition. So then Putty stands up in front of the room, and he says, all right, we're going to pause here, but everyone who is either feeling nauseous or feeling unsafe, I want you to stand up. And right then, about 15 people stood up and instantly demons started manifesting all over the room. What I mean by that is people are howling, crying, some people are growling, some people are convulsing. It's just, it all happened right then at once. And so the goal was to let the Australians that we were training be the ones who actually went and practiced doing this. But we, uh, Putty eventually just sent our team and said, hey, I need you guys to go and help. And so I walked up to this lady and she had two people praying for her, and she was yelling, gritting her teeth, and crying hysterically. And the people praying for her were kind of just praying like, 
Just peace in Jesus' name, peace in Jesus' name. And it wasn't bad what they were doing, but it wasn't necessarily resulting in peace. And so the first thing that I did is, and I actually, this is stuff that I feel like just came to me in the moment. I had her sit down because she was standing first off. And then we took a full minute just getting her to calm down, to be able to talk to us and, and just be in a normal state of mind. And once we did that, it was so much easier to start making breakthrough in her deliverance prayer. Yes, the manifestations came back, the yelling, the crying, the, gra- the gritting her teeth, but it was much more manageable. When it came back, we just took a second to calm that down. And so it's really important that you don't let just chaos or disorder j- happen when you're doing deliverance ministry. Take charge of the situation. The next step, confirm that the person actually desires freedom. Sometimes people say that they want freedom, but they don't actually want it. Or sometimes people might even be manifesting a demon, but if you ask them, hey, do you want to be free from that? They don't want to be. And I promise you that if you, you can spend hours and hours and hours trying to get someone free from a demon, and if they don't want that freedom, that freedom is not going to come. Why? Because God gave us free will, and it's he values free will so much that he will not violate our free will. He will let us choose to stay in a painful situation if we want to. So confirm they want freedom. I'm going to breeze through some of these a little quicker than, than I could. The next step is identify the mindset that has empowered the stronghold. What I mean by a stronghold this is, this is how a stronghold happens. You can read about it in 2 Corinthians 10. A stronghold happens when a person believes a lie about themselves or a lie about God, and then because they believe it and they don't believe the truth and they internalize that, a mindset is formed in them. And once a mindset is formed in them, the enemy is able to actually access, oppress, and influence them via that mindset. You see, our minds, I I believe that our minds are the greatest battleground between the unseen and the seen realm. And so it just makes sense that the strongholds the enemies can get in order to afflict a person start in our minds. So you want to identify what could that mindset be that is allowing this person to be afflicted. I've seen before Bitterness or unforgiveness, that is a common one that can result in a stronghold. Um, The lady I was telling you about from Australia, she was experiencing some abuse as a kid, and her mom didn't believe her. It was from a neighbor. And so that experience and that traumatic memory and that traumatic time in her life actually resulted in a mindset of powerlessness that she had that gave the enemy some room. Sometimes you'll just, you'll observe something and you'll be able to tell what, you won't even have to ask the person. Um, But you want to identify that mindset, how there's way more I could say about this, but whatever it takes, and then break that stronghold off. The way you do that is the next step, lead the person in verbal rejection of the mindset and associated lies. So that looks like figuring out what the lie is and saying, hey, I want you to say, in Jesus' name, I no longer believe that I am fill in the blank, a failure. I no longer believe that I am 
um, powerless. I no longer am holding unforgiveness towards that person. So reject the lie and then proclaim the truth. I'm a powerful person. I forgive that person in Jesus' name. After that, that's a good time to cast out the spirit. And so what that looks like, it's important you do this. This is not like an optional part of this. You can go through all of what I just said, and the demon can still be like lingering or barely holding on by a thread. But once you get through the time of identifying those mindsets and declaring truth and rejecting lies, look at the person and say, I cast out the spirit of whatever it is you're talking about, powerlessness, the spirit of fear, the spirit of shame, whatever. I cast it out in Jesus' name. And then after that, assess progress and decide what's next. So sometimes it'll be very clear that something happened, other times it won't. And this is why we have to always have our antennas up to what the Holy Spirit is saying as we're doing this. So the lady from Australia eventually experienced this amazing freedom, and she said that she had not felt the way that she was feeling in years. The, Jamie had ended up, Jamie was praying for someone, funny enough, who had the same name, really close to me. That, that lady got totally free. So deliverance ministry is really an amazing thing. So I encourage you, press into, press into it more, learn more about it, dig into the scriptures, maybe read a book. But I'd love to say a prayer before we close our time together. So, Holy Spirit, thank you that you've equipped us and given us the ministry of casting out demons. I ask that you would put grace and favor on all of us to be able to do this and to hear from you, to remember these steps, and to get people free when the situations present themselves. In Jesus' name, amen.